everyone welcome back to another episode of don't be so dramatic my name is rachel and this is the podcast where i talk to different people in the entertainment industry to discover what their job involves and how they got there for this week's episode i have with me the lovely lucy clements lucy is a theater director she is the founder of new ghost theater company she's also the founder of the ignite collective which is an all-female theatre collective and she's also an associate producer at Australian Theatre Live. So I mean she's a busy woman and we all love a busy woman or a busy person if you will. It's really interesting to talk to theatre practitioners because it is very different to the film and um, TV screen industry, if you will, which um, a lot of us are really used to uh, working in. And so it's always interesting to talk to someone who works in theatre, because even though it contains all the similar jobs that the screen industry does, it's also very, very different. Um, So... If you've never worked in theatre before, this is really interesting. Or if you have, Lucy has a wealth of knowledge about this sector of the industry. What's also really exciting is we talked about Australian Theatre Live, what they do, which is essentially they record um, theatre productions and plays and they put it online. They are actually looking to start up a streaming service later in the year, which we touched on and will definitely be something that we revisit um, as a new episode later in the year when that all goes live. So imagine having like a Netflix for plays and theatre. I'm certainly excited. Uh, So I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. I'd also just like to give such a big shout out to Justin who helped me to fix the audio as best as we could for this episode. Guys, I, the, I literally said in my last Short Rambles episode that it's okay to have a bad start to the year and oh my goodness, like, I don't know what happened with this episode, but some audio stuff happened and I think this was such an amazing lesson to just be like, Rachel, just reach out and see who can help you. And I did. And the wonderful Justin just helped me out of the kindness of his heart. So isn't that such a lesson in when something is really getting you down and you don't know how to fix it, just throw your net out and be like, hey, universe, I need help. And you will surely, surely get someone who's like, hey, I can see that you need my help and I know how to help you, so let me do it. So yay, what a great lesson to learn. So I'm going to stop rambling about uh, all of the, the things that I had to get through to get this episode out and let you listen to it because it's a great one. So without further ado, let's jump in. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, how are you doing today? Hi, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing very well. I'm coming to you from the um, Australian Theatre Live central headquarters. So that's that's the little office I'm in. We're on, here on Gadigal Land in Roselle. So very happy to be here physically and with you virtually. So you are a director, an executive producer, a producer, um, the founder of a theatre company. Um, You were an actor as well, a writer, a playwright. My goodness, I hope I'm hitting all of the correct things here. (laughs) Oh, look, we've we've got to dabble, don't we, to figure out where we really want to be um, and where we'll take us and what we're good at and all of those crazy creative things absolutely so I would say these days I'm first and foremost a um director and and yeah my my theater company is you know my 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 beautiful baby that I love and cherish um and a very very happy and lucky producer at Australian Theatre Live um associate producer here so that's my that's my my dual um role at the moment um with a background in playwriting and acting but certainly that is a background and not a current in my life because it turned out I was bad at both those things so <laughs> I don't believe that. 
But that's fine. I think it's really important to when you go down one path and realize that it's maybe not so much for you to kind of pivot into what it is that you actually want to do um, and have no shame in that, especially as actors. I think that people have shame in pivoting and not being so much an actor anymore, but something else. And I definitely think that there's no shame in it at all it's just a, a thing that led you to the other thing absolutely I'm lucky that because um, I'm a director that specializes in new work and bringing new work to the stage so certainly uh, I think for all directors a background in acting is all for theater directors it's almost essential like almost all of us I would say have a background in acting um, and certainly as someone working with new writing having an uh, understanding of playwriting too has been such a you know, that has been so great. Um, even just to the empathy of, of knowing what you're asking from people, you know, and how hard it is. Um, so it, it's certainly been all tools that have led me to where I am now. Mm, Absolutely. Definitely. I had a conversation. Um, we're already like tangenting as to like what mission yeah, is right. going to be and now it's not that. I had a conversation with a director the other day and um, it, we were talking about it's crazy the amount of directors that are scared of actors and that don't Ooh. actually have the knowledge on how to speak to actors. But, you know, as an actor, you're like, but that's your job. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting. And I definitely, like, I haven't been, you know, like I'm getting, you know, we'll talk about this more, but I'm, I'm not, I haven't got a background in film. Um, so the Australian Theatre Live has been such a special part of my life and learning that side of things. But I've definitely noticed that a lot, yeah, a lot of the film directors I do know seem to come from more technical backgrounds. Um, and, and maybe the acting is, is maybe one of the last, you know, skill sets they picked up. Um, role. A lot of theatre directors seem to come from an acting background. So, um, but of course, as a theatre director, you spend like, 90% of your job is in rehearsals with actors. So you just, that's got to be the first and foremost, I think, rather than with film, it's almost the last thing you bring to set is actors and everything else comes first. So I guess that makes sense, but it's interesting how those skill sets um, or even just the way you get there is so different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I guess um, you said that you kind of started out as an actor um, and you um, went to WAPA. So Prior to that, where did your interest in the entertainment industry as a whole start out? Yeah, so I um, I am I was lucky to go to a performing arts high school, so that was kind of so I, I auditioned for the high school having never acted before that. So the, that little high school audition was my first thing, uh, and was, you know lucky to get in. It was called John Curtin College of the Arts, and had a great time there. Um, kind of came out of that he came graduated high school um drama was you know the subject I enjoyed the most I didn't know what I wanted to do yet I, I took a gap year and I, I realized I really missed acting so I thought acting would be a part of that I always had an interest in theater making as well and kind of being maybe part of the storytelling process a bit more um so I wasn't sure how that was going to look yet and I wanted to be a nurse so um after my gap year I enrolled in nursing and I had one more stab at my welfare audition um because I'd auditioned for WAPA the year before didn't get in and um, that year I auditioned I think for WAPA and NIDA as well as enrolling into um, nursing at uni um and I didn't get in again but I got into a brand new course that like they only like I went to my WAPA audition and they were like hey while you're here like did you know there's a new course called the Bachelor of Performing Arts starting um and it is more about theatre making and you're going to be you know it's more about telling stories it was all the things that it was oh that does interest me um so I, it was the very first year of that. Um, and so I auditioned for that as well, kind of while I was there and, and got into that one. Um, so I didn't do nursing, <laughs> which I sometimes wonder how different my life would be. Um, but um, so yeah, I did the Bachelor of Performing Arts, which as I say, it was more, it was very devising heavy, which is actually something I don't practice anymore, but it certainly gave me an opportunity to dabble in directing and dabble in playwriting and kind of look at those skills associated with devising in more detail um, and find an interest for those as well. Yeah, so that's kind of how, that's how I ended up on, on that trajectory prior to WAPA, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, for my course that I did in Wollongong, it was very heavily mm. like um, similar like theatre making. Um, so you were creating a show and then acting in that show and the shows were very like postmodern artists, very like tableau like images rather than like 
seen, 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 talking, 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 um, which at the Ooh. time I was like, you know, kind of a little bit opposite to you where I thought this, like, I don't know if this way of creating actually interests me. I was more wanting to do like, just give Ooh. me a, a scene, like a duologue or something. And I want to do that. But I found that it's made me so much of a dynamic performer now, even in, um, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I'm creating my own um, films and stuff like that. Even though, you know, the films are completely different to what I was creating at uni, I still know the process of like, how do you even start? Yeah. How, how do you build something um, and yeah, create something from nothing. So I'm very glad that I had that, even though it has nothing to do with what I'm doing now, but I'm sure it's also informed you in the way that theatre works and yeah. um, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, I've definitely heard of that. I th I've heard that Wollongong has quite a similar course to the one I did. So I definitely think we would have had a similar start there. And yeah, we talk about being opposite and it was, I, I came in really open-minded and thinking that would like the, the devising theatre making process would be something that would really suit me. And to be honest, it wasn't. Um, I really I found it really hard. I found physical theatre really something that didn't gel with me. And my, the process I now engage in in theatre is actually much more traditionalist. I, I work with a playwright and they write a play with some development where actors get to come in and have a conversation around a table and then we rehearse the play. Like it's, it's actually, I've actually kind of done the same as you, gone backwards to what, you know, maybe you were more interested in. <laughs> so we kind of both ended up in that place in the end. Yeah, definitely. And I do like for theatre, for those who haven't done theatre before, I think theatre has such a special place in my heart. And it does make me sad that the theatre industry in Australia is small. And so it is like as an actor, um, in complete honesty is hard to get into. And so I haven't done it in many years, with, you know, more um, gone towards screen, but it's just such a different thing because, um, you know, mm. as a performer in a theater, you are literally a few meters away from the person that is your audience that is watching you. And that connection and that energy is something that you will never have on screen because the connection that you're having is with the person that you're acting opposite or if it's you know just you in a scene it's your energy and what you're kind of portraying so theatre is such a special yeah. medium. It is and as you say acting is so hard it's the hardest industry and particularly as a young woman I think um, so that was kind of actually what happened to me after WAPA is that I moved to Sydney um, I'd like written my own little play and I was looking at my maybe dabbling in directing for this. I'd never directed before. Um, and the, the old fit theater gave me like a 10 PM late night slot to put it on. And like the women that came out to be part like that, you know, to audition for this play were just so phenomenal. And I was so overwhelmed by being this first time director with no experience in playwriting or directing and doing both for the first time in this bizarre late night slot. And the women who were like, desperate to jump on board and be a part of it, it that's actually what made me quit acting um is that I kind of made yeah made that decision of like I want to I, I wasn't good enough to compete with those women like I you have it's not like any other career I feel where it's like oh I'm I'm good at this so I'm gonna do it it's like no you have to be the best at this and I, I wasn't ready to compete um I wasn't good enough to compete and I also was more interested in uh supporting those people giving them more work giving you know creating new work that that could showcase them um rather than you know yeah competing against them for it um so I started something called the ignite collective which is a team of it's an all-women collective um, of playwrights and slow and assembled actors and um directors as the designers and, and we make work specifically women women driven work yeah, and it's, it really is it's pretty aimed at that that just coming out of university demographic as well. You know, your 20s, your 30s, where I just see so many women just like coming out of like three years of intensive practice and like into nothing, which is so scary. And they're incredible. And often we lose them because we're not able to give them the work they need to be seen on stage in those years. Uh, I find that so sad and something I'm trying to, you know, trying to change yeah definitely I think that that moment that you had of you know I don't think that I'm good enough at this thing 
um, in order to compete in that industry. So I'm going to pivot and find what I'm actually um, interested in is really important Mm. because I think, you know, as an actor, as you say, it is really difficult. Um, And apologies to the people listening that aren't actors and get sick of me talking about acting stuff. Um, But I'm just kind of talking (laughs) from my perspective. Um, You know, it is, I think it's, you don't have to be the absolute best at it. There are plenty of actors who are very successful at what they do. And they're not the best actor in the world, but they found what it is that they themselves Mm. as a person are good at. And so they follow that. And so um, obviously you are amazing at encouraging women and being able to form a collective of something in order to make something else. And so that's, I imagine why you've gone down that route of like, okay, um, I love women. I want to do this. So I'm going to do that. Whereas someone who doesn't really have, you know, an interest, that sounds so bad doesn't have an interest in women um, <laughs> how dare they <laughs> how dare they? no no I totally agree yeah you, you find your, your niche absolutely yeah I think um yeah as creatives we can always have the mindset of like well I have to be the best I have to be the best in order to get something you don't you just have to be the best you and what is it that you are good at and what is it that you bring to the table and then work on that and that's how you can be the best of that area rather than trying to be the best actor in the world and you know that because that's just not going to happen yeah yeah absolutely yeah and just letting the natural because will you uh, yeah I think if you, if you just let the, the court, you you, fall, you know, you you lie in 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 the the river, it will take you where you need to be. You just kind of have to let that happen a bit as well. Yeah, not if if it if what's happening isn't working, just let you know let that journey happen. Yeah, rather than staying where you're not happy. Definitely. So in terms of the Ignite Collective, how does one mm. even start? a collective like what is that process like obviously it starts with an idea but then how do you even go about starting that I guess oh uh, yeah absolutely it was kind of the crazy the biggest thing I've done today um and definitely learned a lot on the way um so how we did I already had a theater company by this point or at least like a, a name that I produced work under which is New Ghost theatre company and that still still have that uh and so this was going to be kind of a, I, that would that would still be the umbrella and this would be something that exists within it um because yeah so at that point I'd, I'd done a couple of shows and I've worked with some really amazing playwrights which again I had that same experience with of like oh actually I don't want to write plays anymore I want to be a part of these people writing plays because I just I love what they were doing so much so I had a few playwrights um who I was already working with, who were kind of the basis of it. And I pitched the idea to them and said, you know, this is what I'm interested in doing. Would you, if I gave you a cast of women, like, would you be interested in writing a play for them? Um, so that's how it started. So it started with me and a couple of playwright friends. Uh, and then we did a big call out to actors because my aim was to have an ensemble of actors that we would work with over many years. Um, so we did a big call out for actors for that. And it would be profit share and, it, you know, so that there wouldn't be money involved and it would be, you know, and we had 210, 230 women apply. Um, yeah, women and non-binary actors. Yeah, so it was it was really like, oh, okay, wow, this is this is big. Uh, and we managed to we fit in 110 auditions out of those. We more than half we managed to see. I wish we could have seen everyone, but yeah, it, it was huge. It was huge that you know find the space and find the time and all the stuff. So we did that. Um, we held callbacks, and I was aiming for. 10 in this final group and we ended up with 12 <laughs> we, just, just, we just couldn't quite get it at 10 but um and then we did a big call out for other um for other creatives as well um so into designers um stage managers all of those roles as well and you know we had a big interview process and and found and, yeah, and that's how we got our little team uh and it's changed a lot over the years you know the crazy you know it was bringing a lot of people who I'd never worked with together. Uh, and some people, you know, gelled with me really well. I'm still working with today. And of course, some people had totally different ways, you know, of cre- of their, their creative process was totally different to mine. And we had to try that out to learn that, you know, so there was, there was a lot of learning involved in, in finding the people who could say, you know, this, this, this creative process does work for me and, and 
they want to be on board that on that longer term way. Um, so, so yeah, that's how it all started. And it feels, yeah, at first I was like, I'm going to, we're going to have four new players every year. Um, and which was kind of insane, obviously. Uh, and particularly when COVID hit, that was when I really like, had to reevaluate and be like, this is too much. I'm dragging myself to the ground and, the, you know, and, and COVID and we, we need to slow down. So I work much slower now. I kind of, you know, I'm working with usually two to three playwrights at once and we just take however long we need to get that show to the stage. Yeah. But the, the idea is we, I commit to those playwrights. So I, I'll start the process with them. Um, often with uh, the Ignite team works with the Ignite actors work with them the whole way through and I'm committed to getting that play up in whatever shape or form that is. Yeah. It's really interesting when you take on those leadership roles and every you you know you're feeling like oh I'm just I'm just Lucy or I'm just Rachel trying to do a thing but you know obviously you had over 200 actors apply who are now thinking oh Lucy's got her shit together. Lucy is. <laughs> it was all lies. She doesn't have her shit together. And that's the thing. It's like, as I was saying before, like with directors not really knowing how to talk to actors, it's like when you, it's different with casting directors because, you know, their job is to cast people. So they obviously are very comfortable with actors. But when you're walking into an audition with a director, it's, really interesting to know that the director is also maybe as nervous as you are and maybe is just like oh my god I can't believe that this actor took time out of their day to come and audition for me and the actor's thinking oh my god like I'm you know here and I'm one of 200 and so I better really impress this person that's obviously like so experienced and is so you know, high up in the industry because they're starting this collective. And it's just really funny the way that we look at each other, which is just not true. And so to be able okay. to kind of go, yeah. this is just another person that I'm standing in front of and that's okay. Um, and I want to jump on board with them because they're doing something that I believe in rather than putting everyone on this pedestal of like, Oh my God, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone's putting me on that pedestal, but it's a nice thought. Um, I totally agree. Like one of my worst fears has always been going to a first read of a play and it being perfect and me being like, I don't have any direction. I don't like, I don't know what to say. You know, it's, it's never happened, of course, but it's like would always walk into the first day of rehearsals, like petrified that. I'm not going to have anything to say after the first read. It's so funny. Well, how was it being a playwright and, you know, going into the first uh, read through Ooh. of your play? Because um, I, I can definitely um, speak on, you know, having a script and having actors read it. But I would love to hear, you know, how that was for you as a playwright and uh, a director kind of getting actors together and then being like, okay, read the words that I wrote. Like, this is insane. Um, yeah, what was that like for you? Petrifying, petrifying, yeah. It, and, like, I've now worked as an actor, director and a playwright and as a producer and playwright was by far the most petrifying role I'll ever do. And, yeah, too, almost too much for me, I would say. Particularly opening, like, having an audience. Like, you just sit there. Like, I've never been more nervous in in a theatre than I have been as the playwright sitting with an audience watching the show. And the silences feel so long. I remember I, I worked with a really fantastic playwright, um, Sam O'Sullivan, um, and he would always say to me, like, Missy, I think they're going too slowly. Like, I think they need to go faster. And then one, we did a recording of the show and he watched it back. He was like, oh, they're going so fast. Like, you're just, like sitting in the theatre, it's almost like time slows down uh, and every pause feels so long. And it's, yeah, yeah, terrifying. <laughs> I have so much respect for playwrights. It's such a hard role. You know, I think that that element can be off-putting to people that are wanting to create their own work but don't because it is, it's nice to know that literally I think most people who write scripts and who write plays feel the same way. It's like you kind of have it. I think it's the biggest thing of imposter syndrome of like who am I to get people to read mm. some things that I wrote on a page like do I think that I'm that good but 
it is such a process of overcoming that and just being like, okay, that's where collaboration is amazing because you can go, hey guys, like, do you have anything better in this area and being able to be the the big person and go, okay, yeah, what you said is way better than what I wrote. So we're going to change that because sometimes it will be, you know, and being willing to kind of go, okay, yeah, I hired this person because they're good at their job. And so I'm going to let them be good at their job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say, yeah, by the most terrifying thing I've ever done is playwriting, but I think where imposter syndrome is the worst is directing. And I think it's one of the reasons we still don't have that many young women directors because you've got to, the first time you direct, you have to be the boss of a room. And how can you do that if it's your first time? Like that, taking that step is so daunting and terrifying. Um, and it feels like there's such an expectation on that role. Um, that I think anyone, but I think particularly young women, it's just taking that step can be can be really terrifying and, and you know you, you have that sense of like I, I shouldn't be here I'm, I'm not an expert at directing so why am I here telling everyone what to do you know uh and so doing that for the first time in your first role is is it's so hard <laughs> I can yeah. only imagine directing is something that I've definitely not gone into um and do not want to because of that reason <laughs> yeah you know behind the camera or um you know sitting in the audience um telling someone, okay, um, so let's do that again. But, and then trying to find the words, having to find the words to describe to someone what's in your brain, but they're, they've got a different brain as well. And so how do you describe to someone what it is that you're wanting from them, but also being mindful that they're a human being and, uh, you know, uh, acting out real life essentially. And that can have effects on people as well. It's, it's a whole thing. Why are we doing, why are we in this industry? I don't know. I, I don't know. Get us out. Where's the door? <laughs> Retired. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, but I, as you say, like, it's something that I, like, I think I'm, I've realized through my own creative journey that facilitating is something I really love. Um, and that's kind of what brought me to Australian Theatre Live too. So like what I ended up, my role, I, as creatively, I'm a director, but I also work so much as a producer now. Um, you know, when you're running a company, that's what you end up spending most of your day doing. Um, it's not the creative stuff, unfortunately. Um, and I love that as well. And, I've, you know, I'm really finding a love for producing as well. Um, and it's not something I often do for my own theatre company in terms of, like, I do running the company but not getting the show on. I'll have to work with producers. So it's been um, so great to be able to be here at Australian Theatre Live too in a producer role and, and really just be able to dedicate myself to that as well. That's been a whole other journey for me but quite similar to directing in that facilitating kind of brain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Did you, when you started um, New Ghost Theatre, I guess that was sort of like on the business side of things as well, because yes, you are putting Mm. on plays, but then you also have to worry about all the non-creative stuff, which is sometimes what a lot of forget exists in the industry. It's not about yeah. oh yeah I get to play this character it's like okay where's the money coming from <laughs> yeah you know yeah. so um yeah I guess was it interesting going from being an actor and a playwright which is quite creative to then having your own theater company and having to learn from nothing mm. what the business side looks like absolutely and like your saving goals just have to be become I want to bankroll my own play. Like, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, that's Lucy's personal saving goal because she's saving for, um, in those, and the, this, now it's easier. Now we have our own bank account for new goes, which is great. But for those first years, that's what it was. It was bankrolling. So it was working in the day so that I could pay for the show at night. Um, and like indie theater, man, it's, there's so much like that I look back on. Like I've never, you know, until recently we haven't had like, safety procedures and policy and, you know, like things like that, that um, big established companies have that as an independent, that independent companies just don't have. And I think there's only really that, that's being voiced a lot more maybe now, but also maybe that just because I've been here longer. Like it's, it's, it's crazy that, you know, that independent companies are so prevalent, um, but you do have to start from scratch. And so it's, you know, so common that you're not going to have, you're not going to know how to write a safety procedure or a risk assessment or, you know, these, these documents that, um, that are obvious in large companies. 
So yeah, it's it's a whole other brain, that's for sure. And and stuff stuff things that you just you just have to figure out as you go and it takes a couple of years. Yeah. Mm, I just um I've recently had to learn the investment side of the film industry and uh contracts when um doing mm-hmm. deals with investors and what that looks like, what they're buying, which is uh percentage or shares in your uh, pilot or series or film and then um, that means that if it gets picked up they get a certain percentage of the money that you get paid and I'm like this is not being an actor like it's just it's so dense and crazy and really just like it hits home that this is a business this is like, it, yeah. you know, if you are uh, working in this industry, it is a business. It's not like, oh, I go to an audition and I do or don't get it and that's the work. It's like there's yeah. so much um, not glamorous stuff going on behind the scenes and I just go, mm. oh, my God, like this is like, do I want to do this? Do I want to be yeah. in this industry? And hopefully, well, today the answer is yes. So I completely understand, you know, having to teach yourself or to like learn as you go um, is something that is like, I hate using the phrase fake it till you make it because I think that we're just all constantly learning. But you do kind of have to yeah. be upfront with yourself first and foremost and be yeah. like, it's okay that I don't know this and I'm learning this and to the best of my ability, I'm going to make the people around me feel like I am fulfilling my role and I've got it and that's okay if I get something wrong and we need to change it. I think that there's, you know, we don't see behind the scenes of uh, the big successful productions. And there's the great Netflix show. um, Oh, what's it called? It's something to do with like, it shows all the um, behind the scenes of different big films. Oh, the the films that made us, the movies that made us. That's what it's called. And essentially Mm. it shows like um, they interview people now and talk about a film that they did. And I remember watching the one on Home Alone and it just spoke about how halfway through filming, they got dropped by Warner Brothers. And so they had no more money. And then they had to Uh. kind of scramble and Fox ended up picking it up. But you would just never know watching that film. You would just think, oh, my God, they just got given millions of dollars and they were fine and then they made a film. It's like, no, even on that big of a budget and that big of a film set, things are still, like, people are still learning as they go. And so... That's so true. Yeah. And someone said that to me. Like, I have a few friends who have recently gone into film producing, which you'll know more about than I do. Uh, Well, in, in that big, you know, feature film world, um but um they were saying that too that like what they're observing of these big producers they're working with is just like every every project is different and there's just you just always have to you know you, yeah you, you're always learning and you're never the expert you know this you might you know have gone through 10 feature films but now this one's an animation you've never done animation before so now you have to know all the terminology when you make that phone call and you know it's just it's this constant learning process and and thank you so you make it <laughs> but it never ends. There's no, it's almost like fake it till forever, not fake it till you make it. Yeah. Uh, so um, with when uh, with your theatre company and then oh. also with Ignite, um, what do you look for when you are presented with different ideas for works? Because, you know, I'm sure that you know Ooh. as a um, playwright, previously oh my god it took me so long to get that phrase out that's quite a yeah that's an enunciation yeah um uh that you know that like when you have an idea for something and you think it's such a a fantastic idea um and then you pitch it to people and no one picks it up um that that is kind of you know heartbreaking and you think well, I thought the idea was really good. So what's it like being on the other side of that, being the person that does pick the ideas and that does go, yes, yours sounds good, we'll do that, or to another person, no, that's not what we're looking for right now. What's it like? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. And 
most of what I do these days is when I do a new Australian work, it's, it's works I've actually been a part of from the very beginning of the process. Um, so of course that's a pretty different experience. Um, I am very aware of my own style and um, what, what I look for in a play, which really has so little to do with, you know, if it's a good play or not. So that, you know, and, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only director to speak like that. So it's really interesting to reflect on that. Like, cause I exactly, I was, a, you know, the playwright who was sending plays around and couldn't get them picked up. And now being on the other side, it, it's, it's much more clear to me of um, how many more choices go in other than is the play good or bad. Uh, like for instance, I really love naturalistic plays and, um, and I, I'm pretty skeptical to, to go too far outside my lived experience um, just because I'm like, I, I think, um, like, for instance, um, I had a, a really fantastic great play brought to me that was um, a queer experience and that, that was the, the crux of the show. And I just couldn't help feeling like a queer director would, would, would be a better fit for this project and we'd be able to bring so much more to it. You know, so I have a lot of, in the same way that you do when you pick up a role as an actor or, or, or think about writing your own show, it's, it's that same relationship, right? Am I the right person for this? Am I going to be able to tell this better and more authentically than anybody else? Um, so I, I go through a lot of, of, of that process as, as well. Um, and I'm, I'm also, my favourite style to work in is pretty within the real, with realism realm, you know, so movement, things like that. Um, are kind of outside what I consider my forte to be as well. So yeah, there's, it's, it's very personal. Yeah, and it really comes down to um, putting the play against my skill set and my self, my identity, and 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 saying, you know, yeah, can I can I honestly do this better than my the, the rest of my community of directors? Um, and if it's, if I, if I can think of other people who I know would do it better, then I, I'm unlikely to take the work. Yeah. I think that's such an empowering question to ask as well is, am I the right person for blank? Which you can insert that yeah. into whatever it is that you're doing in the industry, like, um, you know, as an actor going, am I the right person to do this role? Am I, you know, when you're um, being offered an audition, am I the right person to portray this character or even getting an agent, am I the right person for this? Or is this agency the right thing for me? You know, rather than kind of thinking, um, I will just take whatever I can get, which I'm sure as a director, it's very easy to go, oh, someone's offering me a play. Uh, of course I'll take it because that's yeah. work. Like I, I want to keep working, but to actually kind of go, no, if I want this to be a long career for myself, I need to look at why Why am I doing this? Like, what is my purpose? What do I have to bring to the table as Lucy or as Rachel? And often it is like, what have I lived through and who am I as a person yeah. and how can I portray that in different ways on stage or on screen? And then also, you know, from behind the scenes, as I said, like, which agent is going to be the best fit for me? What am I going to be able to bring to mm. that agency? Or is someone else going to be a better fit for that in terms of, you know, uh, what agent that is? Or like, is this director going to be the best director for me to work with? Or am I going to be yeah. the best fit for, for them in this role? It's like asking those questions rather than being in the mindset of like, well, I will just take whatever I can get because I want yeah. to work, I need experience. And of course we do. And sometimes we do take roles, which it's like, I, I need to take this because I need the experience. I need the work, I need Absolutely. to work. Yeah. And that's totally fine. But I think when we do have the um, time and the room to ask those questions, it's really important to, especially as you said, when it's to do with um, queer stories um, as an example, or something to do with race or upbringing or, or anything like that, yeah. I sure as hell um, would not take on a queer story as well because I don't know that lived experience and I could yeah. really only come at it from the perspective of understanding, like having heard other people talk about it, but I know that mm. there's 
queer actors that have lived that experience and so they should get the role, you know? Yes, absolutely. And directing is a little different, you know, like I, you can surround yourself with a creative team and a community to, you know, so that you are being, you are facilitating amazing queer artists or artists from other cultures to do that work. I absolutely, so I definitely don't want to stand here and say, you know, that a director couldn't do a work like that. And, um, but, but you, you get it, you get a feeling deep down, I think when you read a script of like, if, can I, you know, whether or not you feel like it's within your ballpark or not, or even just, if, if you if, if your mate next to you is you like you turn to them and say you would just be so much better at the script than me you know <laughs> you have that sense I think always of um of what's right and it is such a privilege as well to be able to be in that mindset because as you say as a younger actor and as a younger director you do just take whatever's in your past within um within reason obviously um there's roles that um if it was a different culture you, you wouldn't um play and um but but you might take something that you know you don't have a lived experience with or or that maybe creatively doesn't satisfy you maybe doesn't you know creatively hit those parts of you but you just want the you need the time on stage so I think that's so natural and necessary at some point as well and it's a real privilege to get to a place where it's like no this really has to creatively feed me um for me to to sign on now yeah definitely and I think it's also it is harder when you're kind of in the role of the business area of the industry because you do need to make money. You do need to make things that are going to make money. But I think the things that make money are the things that connect with people and you're not going to be able to connect with someone if you're uh, casting the wrong people for the roles or if you are the wrong person to put on this show. And so, you know, we do... Like the, the industry as a whole in the whole wide world churns out content, which is just there for the masses to like, you know, an example, all of the Christmas movies that get put out on Hallmark yeah. and all that sort of thing. They're not pushing any boundaries. They're not different. Mm-hmm. They're casting the same people over and over again who might not necessarily be the best people for the role. Uh, but that's not their purpose. It's not, they're not trying to, connect with you they're just like here's a christmas film santa might be in it i don't know it might be on a farm and it might be a city gal going to a small town in her country that sort of thing they're not looking to connect and so yes they do make money but they're not groundbreaking they're not pushing the industry forward they're not pushing those people forward as people and Mm. that's okay because they're just serving the purpose of making this amount of money but as creatives, like, um, and I'm sure for you as well, you are looking to move people forward and to connect with people and to to push yourself yeah. as a person. And so that's why you do need to be more careful and not do a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and particularly if, like I'm working in the independent sector still, so I'm I'm not on an award wage when I'm directing, or you know, I'm always still profit share contracts. So you can only take maybe two projects a year. Um, so then you really do have to be, you know, it is, it is really crucial that you pick the two that, you know, are going to, that you, you think you can do the most with personally. Yeah. Yeah. But then also like, I'm so grateful for my dual role as a producer and particularly here at Australian Theatre Live, as, um, because as a producer, you, you can take on those, those shows that, you know, you wouldn't be the creative fit for, um, which is, is you know so I, I'm really lucky that I still get to kind of work in those different worlds as well and and you know facilitate those stories that I might not be the right creative fit for but I can help those people get together and do it you know so we've just done um Sydney Festival um some stuff here and you know I got to film Day which was part of Sydney Festival which is a, a, a really um amazing play um which brought a lot of different cultures together. Uh, it was film, it had some filming and some performance from Singapore in it. Um, but the, the actors, uh, the story was an Indigenous and a Maltese actor. Like it was just so beautiful and something that um, that it was just so special to be to be able to um, be a part of bringing that work to the screen um, in in a producing role, you know. And and I never would have been in that show, and I you know never would have written that show. But I, it was it was so wonderful to, to still be able to support them yeah Mm, definitely well so we've mentioned Australian Theatre Live so can you tell Mm. me what is it what does it do what's it about 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah, so uh, so if, most people kind of have the reference point of National Theatre, um, so NT Live, uh, National Theatre Live, um, which is the UK company. So we're the Australian version of that. So we um, film, uh, we film plays and, and we bring them to cinemas and to online, uh, which I think is really special because it, you know, I'm particularly working in Metropolitan Sydney and we're so lucky to be here um, and, and have all of these incredible productions around us. So of course, people in regional areas um, or yeah, yeah, so much of the population can't access that kind of theatre um, for whatever reason. So it, it, it's about taking theatre to everyone, which is really lovely. Um, and even, and it's also equally special for the artists, you know, to be able to be seen throughout Australia in other metropolitan Australian locations and regionally. Uh, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a really fun extra role for me to do as a producer where it really is me being able to serve artists and, and help them get seen um, and also serve audiences, helping them access the work. So that's a really special part of my life as well. Mm, yeah, I guess it is, you know, as you say, with bringing, making, making theatre more accessible to regional areas or areas mm. that don't have a lot of live theatre, um, I guess the, like, if you guys weren't doing that, the thing that they would have access to is essentially probably primetime TV, which is like, they're just watching Home and Away over and over again. And <laughs> that show's not very diverse. <laughs> There's too many bus crashes on that show. It's unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I think that... theatre instead. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it is, yeah, so important because we don't realise, and especially, you know, I, I will speak from my perspective as someone who is oh. very privileged and... Um, white and um, has grown up um, in a good household, I guess. I don't realise the impact that that sort of stuff can have on someone who didn't lead the life and hasn't led the life mm. that I have. Like one play that is about a similar person to who they are can really change their perspective on life can really show yeah. them like the things that they can do in life and rather than watching home and out home and away and being like oh, i wish i live near the beach um you know so i think um having thought on that a little bit it is so important to be able to be more accessible and i think you know when you are when i am a bit more privileged that's definitely something that i forget is that yeah. I'm like, oh, but don't they have the internet and can look up things? But it's not about that. They don't even know where to look. They don't even know where to start. Yeah. And so to be able to give them the tools and present to it to make it easier for someone to be like, hey, do you relate to any of this though? They go, yes, yeah. I do. Um, to be um, heard and to feel seen is such an incredible thing for people um and yeah. you can do that in so many different ways like podcasting as well yeah absolutely yeah so true and there's so many different reasons that someone won't go to the theater and you know if, if you're outside the theater community it's so common to, to to meet people that have never been to the theater um a lot of theater is really expensive and you know and why would you take why would you try it out if you if it wasn't something that you thought you'd be interested in? You know, you can be spending over a hundred dollars to see a show. Um, traveling in if you're not in like actually metropolitan, you know, Sydney postcode two zero zero zero, then it's you know you're having to travel a long way to get to it. Um, and if you're outside of the city altogether, then it might be completely inaccessible to you. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you're living with any kind of disability, a lot of theaters are really inaccessible. Um, and can, and including audibly um, and, or visually or even there's so many different things that can prevent our communities from from that kind of art form so it's, it's amazing to be um, a part of the solution to that um, and I'm also seeing you know as a theatre practitioner like the sadness of um, you know people call it the dying art form theatre um, because we're seeing less and less people go or that the 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 audience 
the main audience theatre is, is an ageing population and, and young people aren't really coming through with the same interest in it. And I do think that young, you know, my community, young people are, they are, they're on screens, you know, they're, they've got Netflix, they've got all, they're so adapted to devices. And I think theatre needs to keep up with that and we need to make sure we're accessible in the ways that young people want to connect with them. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, we can help um, bring, you know, make that accessible to young audiences as well in a way that interests them. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, as I said before, like, I, I can only imagine the the struggle of, uh, you know, being a producer and trying to get people to come to a live performance. And it's just, yeah, I, I can't, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I, well, I do want to do theatre more, but so I guess I'm not that lucky, mm. but I feel like, you know, with with screens and stuff like that, I do really feel for the theatre industry, especially during COVID, you saw mm. a lot of people Absolutely. trying to adapt and do like Zoom readings and stuff like that, but then the market becomes saturated with that. So how are you reaching the people that you want and how are you getting people to uh, look at your reading and stuff like that? And so... I think it's still something that we're all kind of learning to find the best way to do something and what that looks like for theatre. But I also think I really hope that there is a pushback on um, screen time and consuming of screens. Um, And that's something that I've definitely, for me personally, noticed in my life, like, I look at social media too much and I hate it and I don't want to do it. And I definitely want to take a step back this year and be more conscious about like I'm paying for social media with my time. You know, we always think about, oh, um, you know, we pay for things with money, but time and your time is also a precious um, wealth that you have. And so um being able to and i think that theater whether that's live or sitting down and watching it is a great way to spend your time because you're getting something out of it it's not just scrolling and looking at like pictures and liking them and seeing who else has liked them like you know i guess social media definitely serves a purpose and it can be a great connector but at the same time like why are you doing that what's that for Whereas when you actively go to a theatre and you sit down and you go, I'm going to take in the message that these performers and these creatives are presenting to me, that is, you know, I feel like you can only grow from those experiences. Mm. And so I really like, who knows, I might be completely wrong, but I really do hope that there is a pushback on the screen industry. And I, you know, I love, streaming services they've done so much for screen and accessibility and all that sort of stuff and i hope that we also start to lean more towards the in-person stuff as well if we can and if we can't being able to choose like okay i do want to watch this theater show instead of going onto facebook and looking at nothing um yeah, so it'll be interesting the next yeah. few years to see where the theatre industry goes. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and particularly with navigating COVID. I mean, COVID has been just so devastating for theatre. Um, and this new wave that we're currently in as we're recording this is, is just as devastating as it, as it was during the lockdowns because we're being encouraged to not be in big gatherings. We're being encouraged to not go to big live events. And there's the theatre being like, well, we're being told to stay open and keep putting work on, but, um, but you know, are we putting audiences in danger by encouraging them to come out? But, you know, like it, it, it's such a kind of minefield at the moment to be presenting work at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah, immunocompromised has, has just added a whole new, um, yeah, this, this thing to you know to the difficulty of, of getting to theater and, and, and added a whole new population who it's going to be really really tough in the next few years to um to be part of those live events um which is really scary and again I, you know i'm still very lucky that i i'm in here at australian theater live where we're kind of a part of that solve as well um and, and bringing 
and bringing theatre to screens and making it safe for people to still access theatre. But as a theatre practitioner, also putting on work, I'm trying to solve, you know, I'm in that dual brain of how do we bring people back to theatre? How do we make them feel safe um, and still keep the productions that are so often only just viable without this whole pandemic? How do we keep them viable now in this new in this new time? Yeah, definitely. Um, now, can we can we talk about the app that's coming out yet for Australian Theatre Live? Yes, I, I it's, it's early days, and I'm not the person leading it. So, um, <laughs> as much as I know, we can absolutely talk about. It. And we'll talk about it later in the year as mm. well, so everyone can um, yeah, remember that. But yeah, Australian Theatre Live has an app that they are developing at the moment, mm. um, which I imagine um, just very like broadly what. So I'm guessing it just means it's more accessible on devices? Absolutely. So we're really trying to create a streaming service to Australian Theatre Live. So at the moment, we're hosted by Vimeo. So, you know, our our productions are on Vimeo. You can go through our website and then access it through there, um, which we're just trying to step up from that and really become our own streaming service like any of the other major ones you know, where you can subscribe, be a part of our community and have access to this incredible catalogue of new Australian work, which I think would be really special. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I love that because obviously, you know, streaming services are so popular and are just like people are churning through content all the time. And so to yeah. have something which is a, a different medium essentially um would be amazing and i'm so excited for it but um yeah as i said we'll talk about that more in depth later in the year when it does launch um yeah i'm so excited for more info but you know like i'm not really able to be a subscriber for most of our theater companies because it's such an expensive thing to do to be a subscriber to a theater company and to get that you know that one big ticket for the year so I'm, i'm really excited to have like a way for audiences to access that at a really cheap cost and have the you know 10 new productions a year that they can access on on that you know that one cost so it's something I'm really excited about absolutely yeah definitely especially you know as a creative when people are like oh I went to see this show and this show and this show cool I didn't see any of those I didn't see I didn't have a spare hundred and something dollars you know to spend that on so to be able to um experience those things and then to be able to use that as um an experience to further yourself as a creative is so exciting and to be able to be like I did see this and here's my thoughts on it (laughs) absolutely or like oh I didn't see that but now I can go back and watch it because it's on you know like and and that as well and being able to you know talk and share as in in a more long-term basis rather than like snap, you missed it, too bad, you'll never see it now, which is so how theatre lives most of the time, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Lucy, we've been talking for a while, so um, we yeah. can wrap up, but is there anything that you would like to plug before we go, any socials, any websites that I will, of course, link below as well? Oh, well, I will let you know that so we're in rehearsals for our next Ignite show at the moment. This is a show we have been working on for three years and this is, I think, our third time trying to get it up because it, like, we, we started Ignite in 2019, which, like, looking back, what a wild time to, like, start a project like that. Um, so this was a project we, yeah, so this was an incredible woman. She was one of the first members of our Ignite collective. She's a Darwin woman. Uh, this was her first full-length play. Um, I was quite aware of her um, her short works and I loved her writing. It's beautiful, like magic realism style writing. Uh, so unique. So I, I called her. I'd met her once before. this, gave her a kind of random call and said, do you want to be part of this kind of crazy collective I'm making? And she was like, oh, look, um, I had a baby last week, uh, but sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wild. So this is a play that's kind of come out, you know, as the sleepless, you know, mother navigating her first baby girl. Um, this is the play that has resulted from that crazy time of her life. Um, and it was meant to go in 2020 and then it was meant to go in 2021. And now we're here, we're in rehearsals. It's on in a couple of weeks time. 
Uh, so it's called Hush and it will be at Flight Star Theatre um, starting in the last week of Feb of 2022. Yeah. So I'll plug that. Plug. <laughs> Yay. So everyone should go and check Yay. that out definitely. And go and see some live theatre. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we are doing, you know, and we are navigating those crazy COVID times we're in. We're doing a couple of um, 50% capacity nights to try and um, – you know, make the space feel safe, particularly to people who uh, may be immunocompromised or, or have any, you know, um, so what one of the many reasons of, of not being in social events right now. Um, and Flight Path Theatre, we're lucky as a venue, has signed on to um, uh, a, a big like COVID safe policy that um, 11 theatre companies in Sydney have signed on to, which is them committing, you know, we, we, are, we will always have masks in the theatre we will always, you know, practice COVID safe policies. And that's something they're doing uniformly across these 11 companies. So it, it's really, I'm really lucky to be part of such a safe space in this crazy time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your wisdom um, about theatre as a whole and being a creative. Um, I very much enjoyed having you. Oh, thank you so so much Rachel it was such a joy to, to be able to talk to you thank you so much for having me no worries at all we will talk to you soon thanks Rachel bye